I'm Alexander Lawrence Ames, and this is Cloister Talk, the Pennsylvania German Material Texts podcast. Welcome to episode 16, in which I plan to spill the tea about the process of writing the word in the wilderness and the many experiences I have had in libraries, archives, and museums while working on the project. Over the past several months, I've received many questions from readers of The Word in the Wilderness and attendees at various events about the process of writing the book and how my broader professional work in the museum and library world informed this scholarly endeavor. I thought that answering some of those questions over a hot cup of tea would make for an interesting episode of Cloister Talk. Thanks for joining me for this retrospective conversation. This podcast series explores topics covered in my new book, The Word in the Wilderness, Popular Piety and the Manuscript Arts in Early Pennsylvania, published by the Pennsylvania State University Press in 2020. If you'd like to learn more about anything discussed on the podcast, please read my book, which you can order from psupress.org or request from your favorite local bookseller or library. Do you have a favorite place in your home where you can sit down, relax, and unwind after a long day's work? A place where some of your best thinking gets done. I'm sitting in my own version of that place right now, a comfy, overstuffed wingback chair where I did a lot of my writing for The Word in the Wilderness. This particular spot in my home is my most comfortable place to relax, reflect, and write, especially when I have a hot cup of tea within easy reach. Over the last several months of sharing the word in the wilderness with audiences around the world, via virtual lectures and this podcast, I've received some questions from readers and listeners that I'd love to answer in depth. So today, I'm returning to my favorite writing location with a hot cup of tea in tow to dive into those questions and pour up some answers for you. So make yourself a cup of tea as well, and let's get started. The first question, and one that I have received multiple times over the last few months, is, was there anything in my own background that made me interested in this topic? The individuals who asked this question may have been wondering if I am from southeastern Pennsylvania, if I am a descendant of the Pennsylvania Germans whom I study in the Word in the Wilderness, or if I am a member of one of the religious communities whose manuscripts I study. Perhaps surprisingly to some readers and listeners, the answer to all of these questions is no. I am actually a native of northern Minnesota, have no genealogical connection to the Pennsylvania Germans, and honestly had never even really been exposed to Pennsylvania German manuscript arts prior to starting graduate school at the University of Delaware in 2012. I grew up in a German Lutheran household in rural Minnesota, which culturally certainly had similarities to the long-standing German culture of Pennsylvania, but in terms of a sense of personal cultural connection to my research topic, I actually didn't have one, which I think actually was quite useful when I began my scholarly research in that I came to the primary sources with a fresh perspective and no prior assumptions about the manuscript arts. My first exposure to Pennsylvania German calligraphy came in summer 2012, while I was a student in the Winter Tour program in American Material Culture at the Winter Tour Museum and University of Delaware. 
I became fascinated by all the German-language religious manuscripts I saw in the museum's collection, and I did a few research papers on the topic, which soon fed into a master's thesis, a doctoral dissertation, and finally my book. While there was a steep learning curve in studying the religious traditions of the Pennsylvania Germans, fortunately for me I had taken enough high school and college German language classes to manage the language without too much trouble, and it's been a fascinating intellectual journey ever since. Another question I have received from readers is, what is the meaning and significance of the title of the book, The Word in the Wilderness? How did I land on this title? This is a question I'm delighted to answer because the title of my book carries tremendous meaning for me. It actually has two broader resonances. The first is with a mystical community founded in Pennsylvania by Johannes Kelpius called Woman in the Wilderness. The second, and for me even more impactful resonance, is that the title of my book calls to mind an important essay and book written by the great scholar of New England Puritanism, Perry Miller, called Errant into the Wilderness. That title is itself a quote taken from the title of a sermon by Samuel Danforth delivered in 1670. Perry Miller, who decades after his death is still revered as one of the greatest historians of early America and the founder of American Studies and American Intellectual History, framed the New England Puritans as the originators of a distinctively American culture that eventually found full expression in the United States. He focused intensively on the Puritans and the New England region in his scholarship, which was a boon to the study of that region, but also led to the overshadowing of other geographic zones, peoples, and cultures. The title of my book, The Word in the Wilderness, is an attempt to echo Miller's book title from years ago and argue that the Pennsylvania Germans and the illuminated manuscripts they made deserve to be studied with the same level of intellectual sophistication that the New England Puritans have enjoyed over the generations. I have also been asked... For those of us accustomed to the separation of church and state, please explain about the blend of religious and regular educational instruction in the documents used by youth. Were pastors also teachers, or were these roles more separated and defined? This is a wonderful question, and one that highlights another field of study in which Pennsylvania German illuminated manuscripts could be of tremendous interest, the history of education. The short answer is that in colonial Pennsylvania and the first decades of the existence of the United States, German-speaking sectarian communities, most notably the Mennonites, maintained their own separate rural school system in which religious instruction was a central component. Generally, ministers did not also function as school teachers, or at least not simultaneously so. That said, schoolteacher scribes, who made many of the Fraktorschrift documents that survive today, played a vital role in religious instruction and occupied a liminal territory between clergy and laymen. If you're interested in learning more about this topic, please read Chapter 3 of The Word in the Wilderness, which is titled, and I quote, Worship Always the Scripture, Teaching Literacy and Pious Wisdom in German Pennsylvania. You will find that this chapter explores many of these questions. Here's another fascinating question I recently received. 
Often, when various cultural groups live in close proximity, the assimilation is not just in one direction, but rather a gradual sharing among groups. Did the English in Pennsylvania ever seem to pick up on some of the German traditions? It's quite right to point out the porousness in diverse and changing cultural zones like early Pennsylvania, and there certainly seems to have been a fair amount of cultural communication happening in the Mid-Atlantic region in the arts between roughly 1750 and 1850, the era when Pennsylvania German illuminated devotional manuscripts were made. In my research, I haven't found a clear example of Anglo-American communities consciously adopting a devotional illuminated manuscript practice directly aligned to what the Pennsylvania Germans were doing, but it is notable that English speakers in early New Jersey engaged in manuscript practices that bore marked similarities to traditions in German Pennsylvania in the 18th and 19th centuries. You'll see an example of a New Jersey manuscript on page 55 of The Word in the Wilderness. In the book, I suggest that we really should see the variations on calligraphy, penmanship, and manuscript production among various communities in early America and the broader Atlantic world as streams of one larger tradition. This leads to a related question. Was there understanding and acceptance among the various German groups that lived in early Pennsylvania? The short answer is yes. Many of the early German settler colonizers of Pennsylvania were attracted to the colony because of its policy of religious toleration, and while early modern Europe was marked by sectarian conflict, in Pennsylvania, common necessity meant that various religious communities were able to find a degree of acceptance which might have evaded them in Europe. This sense of the mixing of peoples, languages, religions, and cultures was noted outside the German community as well. Take, for example, a memory recorded by the Maryland resident Dr. Alexander Hamilton during the extensive travels he took in 1744. His diary, kept during that occasion, has become quite famous. On a journey up and down the coast, Hamilton, a physician, wrote his thoughts about the cities and peoples he encountered. In Philadelphia, he wrote, quote, I dined at a tavern with a very mixed company of different nations and religions. There were Scots, English, Dutch, Germans, and Irish. There were Roman Catholics, Presbyterians, Quakers, Methodists, Seventh-day Men, Moravians, Anabaptists, and one Jew. The whole company consisted of twenty-five planted round an oblong table in a great hall well stocked with flies. End quote. In his notes on his company's conversation, Dr. Hamilton observed a widely held willingness to coexist that had already become characteristic of the colony William Penn had founded. Quote, the company divided into committees in conversation. The prevailing topic was politics and conjectures of a French war. They touched a little upon religion, and high words rose among some of the sectaries, but their blood was not hot enough to quarrel, or, to speak in the canting phrase, their zeal wanted fervency." Despite, or perhaps because of, the remarkable religious diversity of the assemblage, tolerance among denomination and sect was the most viable option for the Pennsylvanians gathered there. The colony modeled an approach to religious toleration and social organization quite advanced for the European world at the time. Of course, the historical record is peppered with episodes of theological debates and rifts in Pennsylvania, but the sense of cultural mixing is an important theme as well.
The final question I will share with you is of particular interest to me from a personal vantage point. It is, what was it like to write The Word in the Wilderness while pursuing a full-time career in the museum and library world? What advice do I have for other scholars outside of traditional academic posts for keeping their research and writing ambitions alive? First off, to the asker, thank you for noting the reality that my book has a slightly different origin story than many scholarly academic monographs. While it's common for doctoral dissertations to evolve into academic books, for me, the process of revising my dissertation into a book and seeing it through the publication process took place outside of academia as an employee in the library and museum sector in Philadelphia. I graduated with my PhD in History of American Civilization and Museum Studies from the University of Delaware in 2018, and spent much, perhaps most, of my free time over the next two years preparing the book. It was admittedly a bit of a challenge to start a rigorous full-time career in special collections libraries while putting the final touches on a book manuscript, but it had some real benefits as well. First, in my work at the Rosenbach and the Free Library of Philadelphia, I encountered new primary sources, some of which found their way into the published book. Just as importantly, my work in libraries and museums truly helped me hone my interest in and ability to make academic research as widely accessible as possible and to use artifacts to tell stories about the past. This is an extremely important part of the work done in The Word in the Wilderness, so I relished the opportunity to hone my skills as a public storyteller at the Rosenbach and the Free Library of Philadelphia. For other researchers and writers who find themselves working to balance a scholarly life with full-time professional work, I would advise that you think strategically about how you manage your creative time, set aside even a small amount of time every day to keep your creative project alive, Talk to your employer about how scholarly goals can fit into your work if you think that they would be amenable to supporting your efforts in even very small ways. And remember that there is a tremendous demand today for rich historical content and cultural scholarship that is accessible and interesting to audiences beyond academia. Anyone interested in discussing this topic further should feel free to reach out to me as it's a very important issue. Thank you so much for joining me for this special installment of Cloister Talk, in which I have answered a sampling of the questions I have received about the word in the wilderness over the last several months of sharing the book with the public. I hope you have enjoyed this opportunity to learn more about the book itself and the process of writing it. If you'd like to learn more about anything discussed on the podcast, please read my book, which you can order directly from psupress.org or request from your favorite local bookseller or library. Please note that Penn State Press is a nonprofit scholarly publisher and part of the Penn State University Libraries. Your purchase of the book supports the work of nonprofit peer reviewed academic publishing, a vital component of the United States information landscape in the 21st century. If you have any questions that you would like me to consider for a future Afternoon Tea episode like this one, please send them my way by contacting me on social media or via wordinwilderness.com. Thanks again, and I look forward to speaking with you soon on Cloister Talk.